coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday to you. So Atlanta City Council this morning basically let it be known, Marta, we ain't playing around. We want to know where the money has gone. The more Marta sales tax proceeds that uh, were voted on in 2016 and have been collecting ever since. Uh, we're not seeing shovels churning dirt. We're seeing rendering scaled back. We're seeing plans pushed back. We're seeing shorter lists of projects coming forward. Atlanta City Council, they want to know where the money is. They want to know where it's been going. And at a press conference today, let anyone who's listening know that they're not happy. Here are some of the questions that came up. First with Amir Faroki, my city councilman, Amir Faroki. Confidence in public institutions, including this one right here, is paramount. Without confidence in our institutions, we lose trust in one another. Without trust, we can't build the city and state we want to live in. The only way to establish trust and confidence is through truth. And to quote Mahatma Gandhi, truth never damages a cause that is just. And so I think here, the purpose of this, in addition to the, the very specific questions we're seeking to answer, is an effort to really reestablish trust between residents, the city, and Marta, which is critical for a 40-year program. We need each other, but we also need to do right by each other. Thank you. Spot on. Squandering money and seeing lofty goals and lists of projects and renderings dumbed down to, oh, look, more buses is not how you grow the MARTA system. Uh, Atlanta City Councilman Doug Shipman was next. Um, I'm Doug Shipman. I'm the president of the Atlanta City Council. Um, first, I want to thank Chair uh, Ferrari and Councilman Overstreet. They have long been uh, delving into and asking questions about Marta uh, prior to even be arriving on council. And yesterday, eight members, a majority of council, co-sponsored what was eventually unanimously passed. I think it shows that we are united in this poll. Um, I took the extraordinary step yesterday of stepping down from the chair uh, presiding over the meeting to speak to this legislation. It's the first time I've done so. And the reason is because I believe that the burden around Marta is higher than it is around most other things. This was a specific tax that we asked the residents to support. It was specific for Atlanta. It was aimed at expanding our transit system within the city. And therefore, I think that the burden of transparency is higher than it is usually, which it should be quite high often and always. This is the seventh year of a 40-year uh, effort. And so in the seventh year, I think it is appropriate for us to take stock of where we've been and where we're going through a formal audit. We need this audit to have clarity around decisions and around dollars. We need to know what we are building. We need to know what we are expecting to spend on that building. And we need to understand how those decisions are being made, fundamentally to align expectations. Of course, in 40 years, things are going to change. In seven years, things are going to change. But we need to know where we are. We need to know why decisions are being made. And then we need to manage those expectations as things evolve. I want to be clear that from my perspective, this audit should not slow down the current work on projects that are underway. This audit is about the entirety of the program. It is not specifically about the projects that are being undertaken right now. I believe that both of these things can happen in parallel and that we should not see any slowdown in the work around the projects 
that we vitally need to be done in the city. And I would just simply point to the three key areas that are in the legislation itself. Transparency and reporting, bus operation expenditures, and capital spending. These are the key areas for us to understand through an audit. Um, I think this is a good step, as Councilman Faroki said, in reestablishing trust and maintaining trust between MARTA and the city, and between MARTA, the city, and our residents, who are the ultimate taxpayers for this, and the ultimate beneficiaries of this work. So I think this is an absolutely vital step, and I appreciate the City Council unanimously supporting it. Now I'll turn it over to my colleague, Councilman Rose Street. Thank you, colleagues. It is extremely important for us all to understand that this is not a tool, the audit, is not a tool that we're using to do anything other than making sure that our citizens have confidence not only in MARTA, but in the city of Atlanta. And I, I will tell you from past experience that when we do not deliver to our communities what we know they need, everyone suffers. Every part of Atlanta suffers if we don't get this right. So an audit is a tool that we can use to make sure that we're all on the same page. It is really that simple. The questions that are outlined in the legislation are very clear and they're quite frankly questions that we should all be answering at all times so not only are we going to do this audit this time but we're going to make sure that going forward we're going to ask these questions and everything is going to be documented mm -hmm. it is extremely important that the more MARTA half penny sales tax is being used in a proper manner we all stand to be in a better place if they get it right and so that's why we're all here to make sure that they do get it right. And I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for the city of Atlanta to make sure that we have a robust and comprehensive more MARTA plan that really is about expansion and reaching the people where they are and taking them to places that they have to go and places that they've probably never been before. And so that's why I'm behind this legislation. That last voice you heard was Congresswoman uh, Marcy Collier-Overstreet, who made some fine points pointing out that the audit's not a tool that they're using to do anything other than making certain that Atlanta citizens have confidence, not just in MARTA, but in the city itself, and that the funds that are being collected for these projects aren't being squandered away. She's rooting for, she literally heard her say, she's rooting for MARTA. We all are. I'm a MARTA guy. I mean, I, I believe in mass transit. I believe that Atlanta is a heavily under mass transited city. And the clogged <laughs> Spaghetti Junction and 400 at 285 and, and the downtown Midtown Connector, if that doesn't tell you we don't have enough transit options, I, I, what else can be said? How about even the 75 corridor south of I-20? Oh, my God. And, and dare to dream that we even have these sort of options in the uh, I-75 Cobb County corridor because, man, that is, that's always stacked up by afternoon drive too. Now, shockingly enough, the folks at MARTA are aghast. They are pearl-clutching. How dare you? How are you? Wh wh who are you to ask for this audit? Okay, there's some question as to the legality involved in that, but the city council feels like they're on solid legal footing. But in a statement, MARTA said the best thing the politicians on the council can do for their constituents in the city of Atlanta is to get out of the way and let Marta deliver the projects. Um, are you kidding me? 
What projects? You guys have scaled them back to like less than a dozen now. The five points renovation has become nothing more than a huge awning. We went from light speed rail to bus rapid transit. That's kind of a stunning and audacious statement. Like, I mean, sometimes you, when you're writing an email or a text, don't you look, out, look it over and decide if you should send it or not? That is a statement that somebody should have looked over and decided before sending if it needed to be, I don't know, nuanced, maybe uh, softened a touch. <laughs> the funny thing to me is that in the MARTA statement, they said, that, well, you know, this audit's just going to require them to have to pause work on all these expansion projects except for the Summerhill bus line and the renovation of the five-point station. Oh, no, you're going to have to pause working on projects that you haven't really started on yet? Unfortunate. This is one of those micro to macro stories, too. I mean, just what was it a day ago? The headline in the New York Times Earth to hit critical global warming threshold by early 2030s. The Washington Post UN climate change report catastrophic warming will claim lives without action. And here we got Marta. Well, now you're going to look through our books and that's going to make us have to stop doing what we're doing. Oh my God. You're squandering money, it sounds like. It looks like. It seems like. We went from more Marta to meh, Marta. No, we, we want to see where the money's going. Sorry, not sorry. And you guys keep scaling back the, 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 the programs. First of all, here's another question I have for uh, agencies like MARTA. When you are planning 10, 20, 30-year projects, do you not build in inflation, cost uh, of increased goods and, and supply just in case? I mean, I, I realize the last 18 months have been uh, a bit crazy, but still, do you not build in some sort of inflationary measure to cover your asses so that this sort of stuff doesn't come up again? What do you mean you're only going to be able to deliver 35% of what you said you were going to? What about the 100% of the money you're getting? You didn't build in for cost overruns at all? Now, I'm glad the city council's in on this. And by the way, they, they announced in the press conference today, by the way, the, the, the executive office, the mayor, by the way, is fully behind this. So don't, don't go looking his way. Don't go trying to play one parent versus the other. Uh-uh. Everybody's on the same page. We want to see the money. We want to see the books. And you have to understand how difficult it is to push MARTA expansion onto counties like Cobb and Gwinnett, which are necessary, by the way, when you have fiscal failures like this on your most recent resume. You can't go to the state and get more funding when this is on your most recent resume. This is damaging stuff, and you have to open the books and bring some sunshine onto it. If there's no there there, then fine. Let the city council do this audit to discover where the money went, explained away rationally, and then you go, okay, well, we obviously undershot on the funding mechanism, but we need to do better going forward. You got to be forthright or else you're never going to get money going forward. You're not going to get the voters to approve another uh, sales tax increase. You're not going to get uh, expansion into Cobb County, Gwinnett County. Again, so necessary, right? You're not going to get state funding when it's needed as well. And I'm telling you, with, with, with climate change being what it is and with Atlanta's metro population growth being what it is, I mean, we're expected to have another million, two, a million, five people by the year 2040. We full. Our roads are crammed. We got to have alternate means of transportation. Looking at you, Marta. 
Get your act together. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Aside from being politically savvy and a commentator of all things public policy and pop culture, I'm also a realtor with EXP Realty. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but Housing and Urban Development, HUD, decided, you know what? First-time homebuyers deserve a break on their mortgage insurance premium. It's a way that you, the individual buyer, can save on your mortgage insurance premium. It had been spiked up about 11, 12 years ago after the housing crash to 0.85% the cost of the mortgage. Well, they lowered it to 0.55%. And that can save you, I don't know, anywhere from 60 to 75 maybe $100 a month, depending on the price of the home you're going to purchase. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but if you are a renter right now, ask yourself, is your landlord going to cut your rent by 75 to 100 bucks? a month? We both know the answer. Stop patting your landlord's bottom line and start patting your own when you buy your first home. Give me a call 843-283-0078 or email me ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396-720. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. If you're counting, that is two major festivals now that the city of Atlanta seems to have lost. Music Midtown last summer, with the implication, at least given to those at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that uh, a a new state law that prohibited short-term permit holders on public property to ban guns on said property may have played a role in the cancellation of that. Uh, Sweetwater 420 recently announced it was uh, downsizing its festival so that it would leave Centennial Olympic Park to its own private property for what they say are unspecified personal safety reasons, but I think you can read between the lines there. And then we learned uh, just a few days ago that the Kendler Park Music Festival uh, will not be had. Now, uh, the creator, uh, Josh Antonucci, uh, made the announcement on social media Monday, uh, also, by the way, we, we lost the Decatur Book Festival postponed until 2024 as well. But anyway, uh, Antonucci made the announcement on social media saying it's been an incredible run. Thanks to all who have supported along the way and helped make this festival possible. While necessary to change things, there are plenty more good times ahead. Uh, he did not want to comment any further. So can't necessarily correlate the state's new carry wherever you like on public property law, but again, we've lost two major music festivals in the last calendar year. Read into that what you will. As we uh, close out the final week of General Assembly action, uh, we saw that uh, SB 233, that is the school voucher bill, made it out with a uh, House subcommittee vote. That is the uh, Senator uh, uh, Dolezal bill, the $6,000 uh, voucher that uh, he has been pushing. He, by the way, says, you know, his, his kids are going to be attending public school. Uh, so the scholarship, they call it, uh, which passed the Senate last month, would be offered to families of kids enrolled in public schools ranked in the bottom quarter of the state by the Governor's Office of Student Achievement. Which begs the question, even if, like, say all of the state schools, uh, say, say they all just doubled their academic standards, you know, uh, standardized testing scores and whatnot, there would still be a bottom quarter percent, right? There's always going to be a bottom quarter percent. What a what a gimmick. Uh, anyway, participants would receive quarterly payments into a special account that would be limited to qualified 
educational expenses, including tuition, private tutoring, or therapy. Hmm. Uh, so Senator Dolezal said the $6,000 figure amounts to less than the average state portion of per-student spending. Well, he's not wrong. It also is a lot less than the average private school tuition in Georgia, which is $11,541 per year, according to Private School Review. And by the way, this committee vote, super close, actually. It passed 7-5 to five with the help of Speaker Pro Tem Jan Jones and Majority Leader Chuck Efestration. Brunswick Republican, this is in the georgiarecorder.com, by the way, Brunswick Republican Representative Rick Townsend bucked his party by voting against it. Townsend, who said he has a daughter with a learning disorder, asked Dolezal about private schools' ability to accept or reject children with special needs. Voucher opponents often argue that private school students give up on protections based on factors like race, gender, religion, or ability. Now, Dolezal said the bill would not require schools to change their admissions criteria, but he said that some private schools cater specifically to children with learning needs, and Georgia's special needs scholarship voucher is available to public school students with disabilities. Still the accountability shortfall. Uh, as we went to air today, we don't see yet, but uh, apparently there was going to be a full house education committee schedule uh, on today's docket. Uh, there may be some proposed amendments coming to the bill which uh, will uh, give us a revised version that may need approval from the Senate if it passes the House. That bill has until March 29th when the General Assembly session closes to make it or not. This legislative session just sort of stuns me, honestly. So much uh, attacking marginalized youth, it's not even funny. Our poorest, our learning challenged, mental health, the trans community, which you can roll into mental wellness as well, because we know that the suicide rate is higher amongst the LGBTQ plus youth in this country. And yet we're not dealing with limitations to weapons that would prevent mass shootings. We're not adding funding to schools in poorer communities. We are instead taking money from our public education budget and essentially handing it over to parents who can Find no use for a $6,000 voucher if they're poor already, which means that the only ones who could use the voucher are the parents who already could afford private schooling for their kid in the first place. This is just a a handout to the better off. And, And I haven't even gotten yet to SB 140, which I'm disheartened to say did make it out of the Senate today. and awaits Governor Brian Kemp's signature, or will he give them that signature? Um, I guess that is to be determined. Uh, We're awaiting a call, as a matter of fact, from Georgia Equality's Jeff Graham, who will tell us what, if anything, is left to do to keep SB 140 from becoming state law. We've covered that extensively over the last few weeks, We listened to essentially an entire subcommittee, public safety subcommittee hearing on that bill last week. And facts and data and personal experience be damned. 500 medical professionals don't matter. They had one. They had one who doesn't treat trans youth or provide any gender affirming care whatsoever. Her opinion mattered more to the majority on that subcommittee. So... (laughs) It, it just it boggles the mind. We, we, we listened to SB 233 debate. We 
No, because we have data that shows that students who attend private school on a voucher don't perform better. We know that a $6,000 voucher doesn't cover the cost of private school tuition on average in the state of Georgia. It doesn't matter. To Republicans, facts do not matter. This is why activists tell you, you, you got to vote down ballot too. You, you can't just vote for a Senate race. You can't just vote for your congressperson. You got to vote for state Senate, state house. These seats matter in the General Assembly. Again, I've said all along, Georgia is not a purple state. It's not a purple blue state. It's a purple red state. We're not quite there yet. We don't have the numbers. But I do believe turnout matters and that between SB 233, SB 140, and now the evisceration of Roe v. Wade, if you're not motivated to show up in 2024, I don't know what's going to motivate you. Jeff Graham joins us next to discuss SB 140 and what's next. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, And if you're just joining us here on the bottom half of the show, uh, SB 140, the bill to limit gender-affirming care for trans individuals under the age of 18, uh, had been amended in the Georgia House, went back to the Georgia Senate where it passed today, and uh, will now sit at Governor Brian Kemp's desk awaiting, we presume, his signature. We'll see. Jeff Graham joins us from Georgia Equality. All right, sir. So where do we stand now on trying to combat this anti-trans youth legislation? Is it just basically hounding the governor? It is at this point hounding the governor. Um, uh, our only hope to prevent Senate Bill 140 from becoming a law here in Georgia uh, rests with uh, Governor Kemp. Um, and if we can convince him to veto this bill, um, I, you know, we've we've talked through um, all of the harms that this bill will do to kids, to families, uh, to medical providers. Um, but I. You know, I think it's incredibly important for people to understand that as amended by the House and now passed by the Senate and headed to the governor's desk, this bill uh, could allow for civil and criminal liability for medical providers who are simply doing their job and following the standards of care, that are working with parents to provide the health care their children so desperately need for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And we all know that Georgia has a shortage of qualified healthcare workers right now. As it is, right. As it is, what OBGYN or pediatrician or endocrinologist or pediatric nurse would want to come to the state of Georgia if they know that should they have a patient diagnosed with gender dysphoria, they are not going to be able to provide all of the care that the standards of care require them to do. It's, it's, it, 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 it's it, chilling. It, it is very chilling. It's incredibly chilling. And I, you know, as we had spoken before, um, I hope that all parents will think about what it says that the legislature has said that you can no longer make medical decisions regarding your child. Mm. Um, Right now it's gender dysphoria, but it could be anything 
Next, this is a very, very dangerous precedent to set for the state of Georgia, and it moves Georgia backwards in ways that we've not seen before. And Jeff, what frustrates me so much is it, this this whole process just reminds me of what it was like when I was a kid. Back when I used to be, I used to be a smart kid, okay? Uh, <laughs> up until like ninth grade when I think I realized, okay, I'm kind of smart, but like lazy smart. I, you know, I have to study to really make good grades. I had a lot of stuff just hit me innately, like from K through six, but I would sit there and watch as I like frustratingly put together like an amazing book report or a science project or something like that. And, you know, I'd get my B plus or A minus or whatever, and then I'd see somebody just kind of schlep through it and get the same grade and, and think, well, why do I have to work as hard? It felt a lot like that watching as one side of the argument came in ill-prepared to answer questions, let alone lacking in facts, data, science, or logic. And then you've got, you know, folks like Dr. O on the, on the left, Shay Roberts, and, uh, you know, we, we had a representative who has a trans child for crying out loud, who can speak to this firsthand. None of this mattered. Yeah, no, it was it was a, it was a very hard debate to watch uh, in the in the House. It was a very hard, even harder debate to watch in the in the Senate. Um, uh, the people pushing this bill continually talk about genital mutilation. Right. Um, and that, first of all, for anyone who is not familiar with gender-affirming care, the surgeries that this bill outlaws basically do not happen here in Georgia. And if they would happen, it's only amongst older adolescents where a physician, a therapist, and a parent have deemed it essential for the child to move forward with that surgery. So we have been hearing them talk about genital mutilations for three, four, five-year-olds. It's not happening, folks. You know where it's it does happen? I like to say that. No, let me tell you, where, where gender mutilation does happen, it does happen in the church. I mean, I mean, seriously, I, 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 I was kind of wondering when somebody was going to bring this up, like add an amendment. All right, if we're gonna if we're gonna outlaw gender mutilation, then we've got to talk about circumcision. Do we not? Well, well, we've uh, as as was pointed out uh, on the on the Senate uh, debate today uh, that yeah, there there is already a, a law against gender. I, I, against gentle mutilation, I you know I I, I don't want to go too far down the road. Yeah, no, I mean I, I get I that. I just I want to make people that, feel awkward yeah. about this. I I want I, and, I want religious right wingers to feel awkward about this. And and frankly, I, I wish that they would feel awkward about the fact that one they are lying about what is going on, Amen. and then two, um, with withholding hormone replacement therapy that withholds care for kids it's a it's 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 a it's a it's a very slippery slope from there mm -hmm. uh, to see what may be coming at us next year um and so that's why we really need to do all we can do to get governor kemp to veto this bill. Um, the healthcare worker shortage in Georgia is very real. Yep. We know that it is a priority of business and uh, legislative leaders across the board and across the state to address that very real 
healthcare worker shortage. And if this becomes law, it's just going to make that harder for them to do. They are hurting their own priorities. They are hurting the state's business reputation. And they are, you know, who in the, who would want to relocate to Georgia not just medical providers, but if if you have a trans kid, yeah. who would want to relocate to this state mm-hmm. knowing that you are not going to be able to make medical decisions for your child? And we do know that we hear it from so many of the parents that have come out over the last several weeks for testimony, to meet one-on-one with legislators. No parent knows when their child will come to them and say, I believe I'm transgender, or I have questions about this. And a parent's job is to love their kid, and that's what these parents are doing. They should be supported and applauded for that, not lied about and demonized. I was really uh, struck by the story of the one woman who was uh, speaking at the committee hearing last week who spoke about the fact that, you know, her child is already well along the path and that this bill, if it passes, will cause her to stop short of her transition journey because hormone therapy is not something that's grandfathered in for someone who's far enough along. Yeah. And they, didn't, that, they weren't well, even aware of that. Yeah. And, 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 and let's, you know, uh, so, so there, there is a grandfathering in for people who are on hormone replacement therapy prior to July 1st. Sure. And this bill would become a law. Sure. So I, I, I think that's important for people to hear. So if your kid is currently on hormone replacement therapy, that part won't be interrupted. But what that mother was specifically saying is that her child right now is just a little too young Mm -hmm. for hormone replacement therapy. Um, But as her child continues on this journey, suddenly the puberty blockers wouldn't be enough. And for her child to continue to develop in an appropriate way that fits her gender identity, that that child would need to transition to hormone replacement therapy. And so uh, that grandfathering is going to help some kids, but it's, it's, it's not going to help everyone. Right. And this is where we say kids are going to be hurt by this. Yep. Um, and, and some of the folks backing this bill have tried to convince themselves that this bill really limits the harm that it does. And while it does not go as far as the two other bills that were introduced this session, it will still harm people. And this criminalization clause Mm -hmm. opens up the doors for some very serious action. And so that's why we need folks um, to, to, to reach out to the governor. The best way to do that, go on his webpage and send him an email through that webpage. Just scroll down. It's legislation. You check the box for legislation and you put in there why you oppose Senate Bill 140 and you, why you need him to veto that. Phone calls are also fine, but we're a little concerned that the phone calls may not 
uh, be counted in the same way that emails might. Yeah. And then, uh, frankly, uh, moments after the bill passed, um, uh, we were there at the Capitol, those that were there with us. Uh, began to uh, to to fill out postcards and hand deliver them to the governor's office um, for folks that are able to make it down to the Capitol between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, during the workday. We will have staff and volunteers that will be there outside of the governor's office to meet folks, to give you a postcard. Um, I come as an individual, come as a group. Um, reach out to, to us at Georgia Equality if uh, you have a social organization or a faith community that would like uh, to, to uh, bring a, either bring a group down or distribute these postcards amongst your group um, and, and have them delivered to the governor's office. Uh, they can also be mailed, but we're just a little concerned that we yeah. have no idea how much time we might have to try to influence this veto, and that's why we're trying to, to get as many folks down to the Capitol or emailing the governor as possible immediately. Jeff Graham with Georgia Equality joining us. And, and by the way, Yeoman's work on your part in Georgia Youth Justice Coalition and the, the, the kids and the parents who have been at the state, uh, the state house all this time, making their voices heard and being seen and, you know, telling their story. You guys have done yeoman's work. Je Jeff, let me give you uh, one last question. I, is, is Brian Kemp a reasonable man? Can he be reasoned with on this? I have to survive on hope that he can be. Understood. Understood. All right. Well, we're going to ask people to, to do exactly as you did. Head, head to the governor's website and get those emails in and uh, head on down to the governor's office as well and, uh, and help out with the postcard effort if you want to sign one real quick uh, within the uh, – you guys will be there, what, all day tomorrow? Yeah, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna be there from eleven a.m. to two p.m. Um, I tomorrow, uh, the rest of this week, next week, as long as it takes. We're committed to to being down there um, uh, between eleven and two. I, uh, every, every day that the Capitol is open, um, and, you know, be on the lookout for, for information on, on other activities or actions that we will have planned as well. That's okay. just what we're doing right now as a rapid response. We'll, we'll have more to come, I'm sure. And listen, Georgia Equality needs our help as well. So head to Georgia Equality's website and drop them a dime too, if you don't mind. Anyway, Jeff, thanks for the time. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for the update. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye-bye. I guess I was remiss when I was talking about uh, marginalized kids in this legislative session. I forgot about SB 44, which now imposes mandatory minimums to even teenagers who may have committed nonviolent gang-related offenses. Just a bannered legislative session for the suburban white conservative voter. Not that any of these measures fix any of their quote-unquote concerns. It just makes them feel better. Well, we passed a law. Remember how when, when, when you're talking to the conservative voter about gun laws, well, we don't enforce the laws we have on the books. They're not going to work. More laws don't work. Well, why is it now all of a sudden in other avenues, more laws actually do work or do they at all? Or do they create bigger problems? Jeff Graham was alluding to the brain drain. The, the fact that like medical professionals aren't going to want to come work in this state if they're worried about legislative overreach and getting arrested for performing medical care. I mean, they're going to have to stop and Crack open a book now and say, well, is, this, is this even allowed in the state of Georgia? Can I use a tongue depressor? Is my proctologist allowed to go there? 
Do I need to sign a document giving him permission? What if it's a boy and he's under 18 and he's got a hernia? Uh, is the proctologist allowed? See what I'm saying? It's a slippery slope. Medical professionals will always be wondering now in a lot of like endocrinology and OBGYN. And, like, again, maybe the proctologist now. Uh, is this a little too provocative? All it's going to take for folks to get outraged is for one star athlete to say, I'm sorry, I'd love to come play for the Hawks. I'd love to come play for the Falcons. I'd love to come play for the Braves and help win a trophy. But your laws. And then, of course, it's going to be their fault for being too woke. When another major Hollywood film project says, yeah, sorry, this voting measure that you guys passed and now the anti-trans stuff and your abortion ban. We just, we can't bring our projects to your state anymore. Oh, woke Hollywood. No, it's draconian conservative in Georgia. You're the problem. The call is coming from inside the house. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at Ron Show ATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So just when you think that everything you know about the inner workings of Fox News can't make you feel any grosser about Fox News, well, according to a new lawsuit, there were staff members on the Tucker Carlson show who used to regularly debate about which women in politics were the more doable. So Fox News producer Abby Grossberg has uh, sued the former network she worked for alleging gender discrimination and harassment, anti-Semitism, and retaliation, in addition to charges that she was made a scapegoat in the Dominion voting system lawsuit against her employer. The Dominion part, uh, it's a little complicated. Grossberg was uh, no innocent bystander when it came to dealing with Donald Trump's election lies, but her allegations about the sexism and misogyny that pervade the company, I mean, really, knocked me over with a feather, right? Uh Anyway, it's still worthy of some attention on their own because gross. So as her lawsuit spells out, she's, by the way, the f- far from the first to sue Fox on similar grounds. Uh, there's 10 pages of lawsuits, complaints, settlements, and continued promotion of the people implicated in those events. Now, her lawsuit also gives us a little bit of a behind-the-scenes, some vivid accounts of what Grossberg said that she experienced. Now, to be fair, at the heart of her complaint is that uh, her advancement was just stunted because she's a woman. She talks about wanting to executive produce a Sunday morning show, Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo, uh, and she implies that she was blocked because higher-ups wanted a man in that role. In fact, she says um, in the lawsuit, to Ms. Grossberg's dismay, Fox News executives then began sending prospective candidates, all of whom were male, to Ms. Bartiromo's personal assistance to vet. All this, by the way, while hearing executives talking about Maria Bartiromo behind her back. Crazy, menopausal, hysterical, needed to be controlled, crazy bitch. Then Ms. Grossberg got moved to the Tucker Carlson show, where the suit goes on. Miss Grossberg's first full day on the TCT team, she was shocked to be greeted by many large and blown-up photographs of Nancy Pelosi in a plunging bathing suit, revealing her cleavage. 
apparently, uh, the following day, in the presence of uh, a senior producer, Alexander McCaskill, uh, someone asked her, is Maria Bartiromo f***ing Kevin McCarthy? Wow. Twice. When a uh, Republican gubernatorial nominee uh, for Michigan appeared on the show, crass and sexist discussion in the newsroom ensued regarding whether Ms. Dixon, that's Tudor Dixon, who was running against Gretchen Whitmer, or her opponent, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, was, quote, hotter and more f***able. Ms. Grossberg said that a producer at one point even said that uh, Republican congressperson Kat Kamek was Fat Kelly Clarkson to another male staffer, and then adding, quote, she only became a congresswoman because she f- the person who had the job before her. Bear in mind, a lot of this is conversation they're having about conservative hosts on the show and Republican female politicians. Yowza! Classy joint you're running there, Rupert. There was the co-worker who put up the Christmas tree near Grossberg's desk and then hung a, a sign next to it that said Hanukkah Bush. Uh, Grossberg complained to HR about the environment and how she was being treated. She then alleges that she experienced retaliation, being put on forced administrative leave, and then Fox News sued her. So now she's suing Fox News and some of its executives over violations of equal pay laws, gender discrimination, religious discrimination, retaliation, failure to accommodate disability, and aiding and abetting unlawful discrimination and retaliation. I somehow missed the disability part. I'll have to go back and read through this because I I missed the disability part. Mm. All right. Okay, before we go, uh, it's been my charge uh, every day this month, well, when I've remembered to and been able to even do a show, to remind you about some of uh, the more powerful women in history. This is Women's History Month, after all. And it was uh, on this day, back in 1986, we didn't have high-def television kids. We had to watch things through grains, and we liked it. Flat screen? No. In fact, back in 1986, I'm not even sure we're remotes were even all that commonplace. We were the remotes at age, when I was 12, had to get up and change the channel for Mama and Papa. Anyway, it was in 1986 that Debbie Thomas became the first African-American woman to win the World Figure Skating Championship. Remember what a big deal that was back then, too, man. That was... Some uh, earth-shattering stuff there. It was actually just so rare back in the 1980s that any African-Americans were participating in any winter sports. 1986 wasn't an Olympic year. That was uh, 1984 in Sarajevo. And 1988, I don't remember where that was. But anyway, 1986 uh, was not an Olympic year, but Debbie Thomas was uh, breaking barriers in 1986 as the first African-American woman to win the World Figure Skating Championship. All right, that'll do it for today's show. A reminder, the uh, folks at uh, Georgia Youth Justice Coalition and Georgia Equality, HRC, uh, Georgia, HRC, Atlanta, uh, all uh, convening tomorrow, 11 until 2, at the governor's office. If you want to go by and sign a postcard voicing your opposition to HB 140, imploring Governor Brian Kemp not to sign that bill into law, feel free to do so again between 11 and 2 tomorrow. I'll have some information along with today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. This show, as all episodes are, go to the podcast platforms, all the major podcast platforms, so you can listen to The Ron Show anytime you like. If you can't catch it, 
weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app or at americaoneradio.com. I have all those podcast links, by the way. It's easier to find them that way if you want. If you just head to ronshowatl.com and then click the podcast link. Or you can just listen to the show from there if you like. I mean, that's fine, too. All right. We will see you tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Have yourself a great evening.